The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. It's a common saying that's adapted from a line in To a Mouse by Robert Burns, and I'm sure you've all heard some form of it, or at least the more popular abbreviated version, the best laid plans, right? I mean, you get into something, it's, well, the best laid plans. This idea that even the very best forward planning and the end result may be very far from what we had in mind, what we had envisioned for ourselves. And as we can consult God's word together today, it's my hope and it's my prayer that we begin to identify within our individual and our corporate lives here as a church, these places where our plans and our actions don't meet and what we should be doing about it. We all suffer from some extent of this both in the course of our human survival and our spiritual effectiveness, we make good, well-intentioned plans that we fail to carry out for a myriad of reasons. One of the passages we're going to be considering this morning is found in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And I'd encourage you to turn there this morning as, uh, as we read God's Word together. James is, a well, is well known even today for his first century master's class on faith and works. He spends a significant amount of time telling us things like faith without works is dead. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that passage, this idea of what it means to work for and with God, what it means to line up our planning and our doing, our hearing and our going. James 1.22 says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who is in, stares intently at his natural face in a mirror. For if he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but also a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Where is this banner flown? Anybody know where this is? Where are those words? Kanamaka, there we go, 10 points. Kanamaka, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so I think it's, uh, I think it's good that we're reflecting on camp a little bit this morning and Phyllis is sharing with us again about camp. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's been up there for at least as long as I've been alive. I don't know how long it's actually been there. Does anybody know? As long as you're alive? Forever? What about you, Nancy? Has it been there forever? Yeah, okay. All right, it's been there forever. Perfect. And the gist of this passage is what? That we are supposed to hear it and do it. But hear what? Do what? Scripture tells us that we are supposed to hear and do the Word of God. And I shared this week in the midweek email about some of the best laid plans that uh, my wife often has as we're grocery shopping. See, her ideal conditions for grocery shopping is that she prepares a list and she goes alone. Prepares a list. It, it's an, those are both important things because if she doesn't prepare a list, that's one problem. And if she goes with me, that's a, an entirely worse problem. 
And so oftentimes, I'll, I, I, I think I'm doing her a favor. I'm like, hey, honey, let's go, to, let's go grocery shopping together. And I don't think she really prefers that. Because usually I say, hey, listen, we can go grocery shopping, and then we can go to lunch. And so I'm sure some of you have shopped on an empty stomach. And so she's probably like, okay, well, I don't have my list all together, and Andrew wants to go, and how's he going to go? And so we start shopping, and I'm throwing stuff in the car, and I'm like, hey, this looks good, and let's do that. And There was one time I'm pretty sure I doubled our budget. Before you give me a hard time, I did throw in like a 20-pack of toilet paper and stuff like that. I'm a bulk buyer, so it's... I kind of like grocery shopping. But I don't necessarily plan it out as well as my wife does. And her, like I said, her ideal grocery shopping conditions are alone and with a list. Maybe a, a little bit more directed towards the point of planning and doing. I really want to be a morning person. I really, really do. I really struggle to get up in the morning. And so I usually set my alarm. I set my alarm in the morning hoping that I will become a morning person. I could set it at 7, and that's not going to work very well. I could set it at 6, and that's a struggle too. I could set it at 5, and we might as well just forget about it. But I want to be a morning person. I promise you that. I want at least some near future version of me to be a morning person, right? Because at nighttime, I'm like, yes, I can be better. I'll just set my alarm for 6.10, and I'll get up. But in the morning, the now current version of me says, you know what, I still want the future version of me to be a morning person, just not yet. And so I hit the snooze button, and I hit it again and again and again, maybe a dozen times. I'm still hoping, I'm still desiring that I will become, the the new version of me will become a morning person. But the current version of me is still struggling with the fact that I don't actually want to. Not today, anyway. Because there's still a wide gap for me between planning and doing when I want to get up in the morning. Like, there's all kinds of great things that I would love to do. I'd love to get up and spend more time in God's Word. I'd love to get up and spend more time with my children. I'd love to get up and drink my coffee before I leave and not as I'm walking out the door. I'd love to actually eat breakfast. For those of you who don't, it's not a, not a recommendation. But I want to be a morning person. I have all these aspirations and desires, and all it would take is for me to wake up when my alarm goes off. But there's this massive gap between what I know and what I do. And I believe, I believe in our own planning in our day-to-day lives, and I believe in our own planning in our spiritual lives, that this gap between our planning and our doing can actually do damage to ourselves humanly. And more importantly, it can do damage to us spiritually, damage to our souls. And it can have a, a, a damaging negative impact on the souls of others around us. When we are hearers of the word and not doers, What kind of soul-sucking impact is it having on you? What kind of soul-sucking impact is it having on those around you? And maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering why you're here. 
Worse yet, maybe some of you have been here at State Road Church or in church for most of your life, and you, you look intently into the mirror of your life, and you forget why the church exists the moment you walk out the doors here. I'm not trying to be harsh. James said this. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away at once and forgets who he was like. Friends, James was helping us here. He was helping us, he was giving us a key to the root causes for the gap between hearing and doing in our lives. Who are you looking at? Who are you looking at? The first man looked at himself, and it's no wonder why he doesn't know what the church is for. Because he looked at himself. And so it's no wonder when he doesn't know what the church is. And James' response isn't to take a picture because it'll last longer. His, James' isn't, response isn't you need to work on your memorization skills. You just need to work a little bit harder at it. James' response is this. Don't look into the mirror at all. James says instead to look into the perfect law. And he calls it the law of liberty. And then he says to be a doer who acts. So how then do we close this gap between what we know and what we do? If we see this problem, if we understand that we want to be better, we, we, we have this idea of what it means to be better, but we don't actually do any of those things, how do we begin to close that gap in our human lives, but more importantly, in our spiritual lives? I think there's two basic common responses when we, when we plan something and we don't accomplish it. The first one is this. Most people don't just keep planning. The, all right, let, let me back up, sorry. Most people don't just keep on doing the same thing over and over, right? I do when it comes to setting my alarm. Jess is really tired of it, but it's like 12 times a day, I think. 12 times I snooze it. Because that's not going to change anything, is it? If I just keep on setting my alarm, but I never actually get up and get out of bed, that's kind of insanity. And so most people are going to either change their plans or they're going to change their expectations of their plans, the Bible says to be patient with one another, and so I think Jess needs to, you guys just need to pray. <laughs> Jess will have a little more patience with me. Two common responses. We either need to put intentional guardrails in place to help us succeed with our commitments, or we need to lower our ambitions and just plan for something easier next time. I'm not saying that those are good choices, one of those, I think, is the right choice, and the other one is not the best. Plan for something easier next time. Avoid the conflicts and the hurdles all together. And to be honest with you, I contend that's probably our default setting. I don't like conflict. I don't know if you prefer conflict. Maybe some of you do. But I would contend that, in general, our default setting is to avoid conflict and hurdles and difficult set, uh, things in our lives. To avoid those things that would make our day-to-day -day lives any harder than they have to already be, and suddenly, and suddenly our lives look a little bit different. 
Suddenly we're under-promising everything, thinking that we're over-delivering by just attending church twice a month. We're under-delivering, or we're over-promising, and, or under-promising, and over, I, I gotta stop using words. We think we're doing enough. We think that this life that we've been given, we think that this faith that we have been told about, we think we're doing enough. Scripture tells us you are not your own. You were bought with a price. But if instead we think that we are our own, then, we se- then that second response does make sense. If we think we are our own. If I think this is my ship and I can steer it any way that I want to, then it makes sense to look in the mirror. It makes sense to make my life easier. It makes sense to do those things. And it's there when we try to steer that ship that we often start to go off course. We start to go off course because we are thinking about what we want in our lives. And we forget that we are not our own and we were bought with a price. Why set an alarm anyway if I'll never be able to get up early? I'll just stop setting an alarm. I'll just start getting up at 9.30 or 10. I'm just kidding. I don't, it's not that late usually. But why set an alarm anyway? I'll just remove that from me. I'll lower my expectations because this is my life and I want to live it. If we steer our own ships, things like fear and doubt and selfishness all begin to creep in. I can't do it. I'm not capable. This will be difficult. This will cost me something. But instead, if we stare into the perfect law, it's a law that brings freedom, a law that brings blessing. We can, I believe, as Christians, begin to shrink the gap between hearing and doing, not by plugging our ears and not listening anymore, but instead by taking up the cross of Christ and doing what we hear, taking it to heart. The message of Jesus Christ will begin to transform you. It'll transform you because our identities are no longer tied up in self, but instead we become hearers who act on the message we've received. And so then as we come up against obstacles that create these gaps between faith and practice, I remind you, brothers and sisters, that it is not on your shoulders to make it happen. It's not on your shoulders to do all that God has asked you to. And that does not mean sit back and relax. But instead, that means to sit and to dwell in the strength of the Lord and his plan for you and for the church. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I have now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Surround yourselves. That's part of the togetherness that we enjoy as a church. 
to surround ourselves with people who will remind us of this. In the New Testament, Paul was always reminding people of their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's something that is important for us to be doing here as a church, to not only be pointing people to Scripture, but reminding them of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. People who are on a mission, surround yourselves with them. And while you're at it, bring people along with you. Ask them to be part of that mission. Ask them to come along and to see who it is that you say is your Savior. Scripture reminds us to do things like sharpen one another. It reminds us that there's an abundance of counselors. There's safety. It reminds us that walking with the wise makes one wise. And so to close the gap between hearing and doing, we must stop trusting in ourselves. I, that's a common theme within Christianity. We've got to stop trusting ourselves, yet it's hard to do. It's not an easy solution to continue to just uh, give everything up. Who wants to give up power? Who wants to give up uh, authority in their own life? I, I, I really don't. And that's why the alarm clock is such a problem for me. I don't like it to have any authority over me, and so I just tell it to shut up. We need to surround ourselves with people like my wife who will tell me to get up out of bed. We need to surround ourselves with people who are going to be on mission alongside of us. We need to surround ourselves with people who believe that Jesus Christ died for us. And if that's the case, that our flesh is no longer what controls us. Instead, we live a life now in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have to begin trusting more, focusing more on the redemptive work of Christ and making use of the people God has given us in his church. We need to help and draw them in to use them, ask them to be guardrails for us, strategies for making good on our commitments to the Lord. But why go through all this effort? If we see that there's a problem, if we say, okay, there's a gap between what I say and there's a gap between what I do, what does it matter? Why try to close that gap? Why not just change my plans? If the Lord has saved you, if the Lord loves you, haven't we been told that we don't have to earn it? Right? So why try? Why put in the effort? The passage from Galatians I shared a moment ago is at the core of the reasoning behind the proper pursuit of action in our day-to-day lives as believers. God loves you, and he gave himself up for you. He gave himself up for you. That's an example that we are commanded to follow, to give ourselves up for one another. And by taking action, our lives are granted blessing and joy and freedom and purpose. And if being with God's people on Sunday morning is not enough, it doesn't bring you these things, then maybe you've been looking in the mirror too long. If being amongst his people isn't a joy to you, if being amongst his people doesn't bring you purpose, then maybe you've been looking in the mirror too long. The world around us needs to hear the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. 
They need to hear it. They need to hear it. Do you ever get annoyed with someone? Well, let me, let me clarify that. Do you ever get annoyed with someone? You, Greg's already nodding his head. Slow down. When they just don't pick up what you're putting down. When you're trying to, uh, and trying to you know, they, they're not catching your drift. They're not smelling what you're smelling. You try to give me directions, just give me the address. Because most likely, if you try to give me any detailed directions, I'm going to smile and nod patiently until you're done giving me your detailed directions, and then I'm going to ask you for the address. I'm going to do that because Siri is much better at spelling things out for me. I can't keep all that stuff going in my head. And so I turn to Siri, and I ask it for help, right? And Siri tells me exactly where to go. Take a left turn here, take a right turn here, drive five miles. My daughter, Ellie, sometimes, I don't know if this happens to any of you parents, but sometimes I'll be like, hey, Ellie, can you go downstairs and get whatever household item is off the table? And she'll inevitably come back with something completely different or nothing at all. I mean, the, the, the difficulty of, it, of instructing my daughter in what to bring back, and I, I talked to her about this already, and she, I, I didn't even say a name, and she's like, oh, it's, it's, that's, you're talking about me. But if I don't spell it out enough for her, if I don't clarify enough specifically what I'm looking for, the color, the size, where it is, all of these things, she, may be, she might come back with something totally different. And part of that's on me. Part of that's on me as her father, me as the one who's asking her to go and to do something for not giving her enough information to go and do. Have you ever missed something that's right in front of you? Sometimes, I think most of us need things spelled out for us from time to time, especially the first time we hear it. And so selling someone to change a tire without actually telling them how to do it is most likely going to end up with no change tire, right? You've got to sit down. You've got to share with them how to do it. You've got to give them the knowledge. You've got to pass the knowledge that you have on to others. And the message that's at the heart of the Christian faith is this, that God took the form of a man. He lived a perfect life. He died in our place while we were still sinners who didn't believe in him. He rose from the grave, defeating death, and he ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father in preparation for his return again to this earth when he will justify us as righteous. That right there isn't a brief message. Even some of you were probably like, okay, that was a little too fast. Slow it down a little bit. That's not an easy message to translate. That's not an easy, reasonable message to transfer to other people. It's simple in that all we have to do is believe in Jesus. But it's a difficult message, and it may leave some questions. Questions that the rest of creation doesn't always have the ability to answer. They, just like you and I once did, need it spelled out for them. Not out of impatient frustration. Not out of pretentious insincerity. Not out of irritated obligation. Not out of some pragmatic profit of our good works. But instead as a response to God and what he has already done for you. 
We don't need to earn God's love. He did that through His Son, Jesus. It's what we know as justification. That's Galatians 2. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. However, the process of becoming more like Jesus because of Him, the process we call sanctification, we do it because we can't help but want to be more like Him. It's not about necessarily what we're saved from. It's not about what we're even saved to, meaning heaven, but it's what we're saved for. See, heaven isn't about you. The idea of eternity isn't about you. Some people see it as utopia. Some people see it as an extended, better version of this life. Some people see it as the opposite of hell, where there's pain and agony and separation from God. And a lot of people get, uh, get hung up in their faith on this idea of a re- eternal reward or punishment. Will I get to drive my Lamborghini on the golden streets? I mean, how exactly big did the Bible say my mansion is going to be? But it's not just about some checkoff. Our faith is not just about believing personally and being done with it. Our faith is about going and spelling it out for people. It's the gospel. He tells us that in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. This is an important part that we miss out on a lot of times. We need to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. The apostles, they had, uh, they had gathered, and before Jesus ascended, he instructed them. He taught them to do the work that he had come to do. He wanted to set an example for them and for us of what it meant to be a believer. He didn't ride off into the sunset upon the completion of his work. He wanted us to see the example and mirror it. He says, go. If your boss at work told you to go, what would you likely do? Probably ask some questions. Where am I going? What are we going to do? Uh, How long will I be gone for? You know, there might be some things that you're going to go through, but what wouldn't you do? If your boss told you to go, what wouldn't you do? I wouldn't stay. That's good. Thank you. I appreciate that. I wouldn't stay. I wouldn't sit there and do nothing. Sadly, however, as believers, as people who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is sometimes our tendency. That when we're told to go, when we hear the words of Jesus Christ, when we hear the words of God throughout Scripture, and we're told to go, we would rather sit and think about it. Maybe we don't want things to be hard. Maybe we don't want to make a mistake. Maybe we don't uh, know where to go, and so we just sit and wait. Back in the summer of 2018, Pastor Tate said in a sermon this, you can't go with God and stay where you are. Our desire for security or popularity or safety tells us that it's a bad choice to go anywhere without first fully understanding what we're doing. 
I don't, I don't like to just take off. I'm not a road tripper who just says, let's just get in the car and drive. I don't know if anybody does that. I definitely don't. I, I like to have a plan. I like to know where I'm going and what I'm going to do and how much it's going to cost me and whether or not it's going to rain and all those things. But if I tell you to go and you don't go, you're disobeying orders. State Road, we must go. We can't wait. Paul reminds the brothers in Corinth why they believe in hopes that they also will continue in the faith. And it's a good reminder for us today. Sometimes we need that. We need this togetherness to be a reminder of why we do what we do. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preach to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. See what he said there? I delivered to you what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so maybe that is you today. In need of a reminder of why you're here amongst the church gathered at 13, 1135 State Road. And maybe the Lord has put you here today to hear these words and to be encouraged, to be sharpened, to be prepared to deliver the message to those around you who need it. To close the gap in your own life and in the life of this church between hearing the word and doing it by using the tools the good Lord has given us in his church. Sometimes we need to be lifted out of that mire. And maybe, like I said, that's you today. Some of you are here with heavy burdens, and so when you look in the mirror, that's all you can see. All you can see is the struggle that you're going through in this moment. And I'm not dismissing that. I'm not dismissing the pain of this human experience. But I am telling you there is hope, and there is life, and there is purpose, and there is joy in what God has called you to do. Not just me, not just Pastor Josh, but you. What you see in the mirror doesn't have to be your defining characteristic. Even the apostles didn't have it all together. These men were supposed to be pillars of the church, yet according to Jewish standards, a lot of them weren't even uh, that well-educated. And so faith is not about how smart you are or just how much you know. Thankfully, in this case, it's about who you know. And it's about telling others about that person. Acts 4 says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. It should say nothing else. There's nothing else. There's no salvation in anything you can do or say. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so this is what happened. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized something. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. And so the question this morning for you is, do people around you know that you've been with Jesus? Do people around you recognize that you've been with him? And I know that doesn't mean literally been with him. 
but he sent us a helper, right? He sent us the Holy Spirit to have the same effect and impact in your life on the people around you as well. And so you don't have to trust in your own strength. That is the the beauty of this, folks. That we don't have to trust in our own strength and our own guile and our own uh, determination. Because in reality, it's not going to do it anyway. In reality, we're not going to get it right every time. But we need to take steps and go. And I want to close with this uh, just, a, just a little jump into Jonah. The story of Jonah reminds us, though, that God will sometimes use us even when we don't want to be used. Or at least go, we got to at least go even if it's in the wrong direction. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittah, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and fleed to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Sometimes we just want to make our own plan. And sometimes we just want to lower our ambitions and lower our expectations and remove all the hurdles and the struggles and the hard things that are going to be in our life because hey, we think we have control over that. But what God does here with Jonah when he runs, he runs in the opposite direction as he tries to steer his own ship. Lord, the Lord still chooses to use him. Even when he ran in the opposite direction of the Lord, it says that the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And so God saves the men on this ship that Jonah was trying to escape on. And then after the whole big fish incident and likely out of a bit of irritation, Jonah comes into Nineveh and he proclaims what he was supposed to do in the beginning. And God uses that man. That man that went in the opposite direction. But he knew the Lord. He feared the Lord. Why else would he run? And so he went. He didn't sit still. He wasn't lukewarm. He said, I'm, I'm going to run away from you. And the Lord uses that to save the men on the ship and to eventually use that man who went out in irritation and obligation to spread his message and to save the city of Nineveh. You know, I, I think that to an extent, Jonah didn't really know what he was doing on the boat. And to an extent, that's me some days. And I think if you're honest, that's you some days. We don't, we don't know what we're doing. We're trying to fumble through this Christian life. But God just might use you. He might just use what you've done, how he wants to despite me and to despite you. We have to do something if we want him to use it. And hopefully we won't pull a Jonah. Hopefully that won't be the, the, the common thread in our life is that every time God asks us to do something, we run in the opposite direction. But on the days that we do, hopefully others will still see the gospel in you. Hopefully others will hear what you have gone and spelled out for them. 
because of what God has done for us, because of how God has given us this togetherness of a church family, we have the opportunity to sharpen one another. And so use it. Set yourself guardrails that will unite what you plan to do and what you actually do. Let's pray. Lord, it's hard to take criticism. It's hard to think that we're not doing enough. Yet you've laid it on my heart, Lord God, to bring this to your church this morning. And I pray, Lord God, that you wouldn't allow us to look in the mirror and say, it's plenty. That you would allow us to look into our own lives and say, it's exactly what I want. But instead, Lord God, you would challenge us and you would convict us to instead look at the perfect law. A law that gives freedom and life and purpose and joy. And that, Lord, we would look into it and we would not just look into it, we would buy into it deeply. Deep enough, Lord, that you would use us. You would use us to share with others the beauty of a relationship with Jesus Christ and the joy that can be had in a fellowship like it we have here at State Road. And so I pray, Lord God, for each and every one, from our oldest to our youngest, that the proclamation of the gospel would be on their tongue today. That they would stop thinking about what is good and they would do instead what is good. That they would not just be hearers of the word, but doers only. Lord, help us not to deceive ourselves. Lord, help us to look deeply into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that you may be glorified, that the church may be expanded, and that ultimately, Lord, we would spend eternity with you. Knowing that heaven is not about us, but instead is about you, your glory, your beauty, your wonder. We pray this in your name. Amen.